what a lot of folks don't know is that Oklahoma City ALC is actually the largest uh, maintenance repair and overhaul organization in the Department of Defense. And I think we're the largest in the world uh, with Ogden ALC being the second in size and Delta, Delta's te uh, technical operations being third. And I think Warner Robins ALC is fourth. So that just shows you the size and the scale um, that the Air Force's three depots bring to the fight. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tinker Talks, the audio format podcast that deals with everything inside the fence of Tinker Air Force Base. I'm April McDonald, your host for this episode, and this time we are sitting down again with Major General Jeff King, commander of the Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex, and this podcast was done over Zoom, so you may notice a little difference in the audio. Here we go with General King. So welcome, General King. It's good to have you on here again. Thanks, April. I appreciate uh, being able to spend a little time together and, and uh, tell the, the story of Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex and, and brag a little bit about our people. Well, in part one of our discussion, you mentioned the chief of staff's charge to accelerate change or lose, and you said losing is not an option. Can you talk about the importance of the work we do here as it relates to the chief's charge? Yeah, you bet, April. This is actually one of my favorite topics. Um, in the strategic landscape, let's start there. Something like 60% uh, of, of maritime trade, being raw materials and finished goods and microchips, as we're all aware of, flows through the Pacific. So ensuring free and open trade uh, in shipping in that theater is vital to our economy. And what's happening with Ukraine and Russia right now shows just how quickly uh, a regional player in Europe can disrupt peace and stability and supply of the global commodities such as oil and gas, precious metals uh, that we get from Ukraine, and in agricultural products that uh, they kind of sustain the world. Uh, when it comes down to it, every fleet of aircraft that the Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex sustains is really vitally important to our nation's defense and protecting our interests abroad. Um, and here we've been overhauling aircraft engines and parts for 80 years. The work done in the, the, the ALC um, is at the foundation of readiness, right? So when we talk about accelerating change or lose, um, it becomes you know something very personal to us. As I said in the last podcast, two of our biggest challenges today are related to geriatrics and pediatrics. And what I mean by that is, uh, very old fleets of aircraft and, and very new ones. Uh, our legacy fleets, they, they find new ways to break. Um, and our newest aircraft, they require new methods of inspection and repair. Uh, and any interruptions in the supply chain disrupts our operations. And, and we experience all of those things here. So accelerating change uh, in certain areas within the complex is absolutely vital uh, to our continued success and support of the warfighter. Um, if we don't constantly, you know, you know, just continually inject new technology, uh, new equipment, and new production techniques to counter the problems that I, I just mentioned, um, we won't be able to, to get after the warfighter's operational requirement um, or really continue to outpace our adversaries who are investing heavily uh, in defense right now. So that's a great transition to my next question. The defense industrial base is the foundation of military readiness. What challenges and trends are you seeing and how can we combat them? Yeah, this is another of my, my favorite topics, uh, actually. Uh, I see several significant challenges 
associated with the defense industrial base. When we talk about the defense industrial base or DIB, there are two components, the organic industrial base, which are uh, the three air logistics complexes and our supply chain along with DLA. Um, and then you have the commercial industrial base and those are our, um, our partners in industry, if you will. And so a couple of the challenges I see in no particular order, um, one, over time, we're buying fewer aircraft, engines, pieces, support equipment, et cetera. Uh, I think the Air Force is roughly 50% smaller than it was when I first came in, uh, coming up on 29 years ago. Um, we had 750,000 people and we're down to about 365. Um, you know, our wings and number of aircraft that we have, uh, likewise, uh, down, down about half of where we were. Um, in, in a realization that we're, we're buying uh, fewer things from industry, the prime contractors are vying for more sustainment activities um, it, with the intent of making up the difference uh, in their, their revenue streams, right? That's, that's just big business, it's the way it works. Uh, the challenge is it often, it often drives up the cost of sustainment. Um, and so the cost of sustainment goes up within a flat budget. There's actually less funds uh, remaining to go buy new equipment and airplanes and things. And so you can see that kind of um, how that could lead to a down, downward spiral over time. Um, that the, the prime contractors, you know, really holding on to sustainment activities can sometimes lock us out of direct contracts with subcontractors and vendors. Um, and frankly, it, it uh, can block our ability to share the workload with small businesses, uh, especially, you know, any of the 1500 uh, small businesses in Oklahoma that do maintenance, repair, and overhaul. Um, that's, that's one challenge. Another problem we're seeing is the commercial industrial base is becoming less responsive in many areas uh, that are important to the Department of Defense. Uh, many sources of supplies are drying up due to lack of demand. Kind of ties back to what I said before, we're buying fewer, piece, fewer aircraft pieces of equipment. And, and in some cases, the commercial manufacturers are just seeking more profitable endeavors. Um, again, that's just part of business. I'm told something like 20% of our contracts uh, that, that we put out uh, to procure legacy aircraft parts and consumables uh, receive zero bids from industry. And so that's a problem for us not having the material we need. And that calls that drives what we call a cold start condition. Uh, and that's where we have to go out and try and reestablish uh, manufacturing capabilities, either in the commercial industry, or we have to create the capability within one of our depots so that we can manufacture those, those parts or pieces parts ourselves. Uh, it's a lengthy process and it drives a, a lag in material av availability uh, that, that affects our, our timeliness on PDM lines, parts on the shelf for warfighters, and even war reserve engine availability. Uh, so that's, that's problem two. Um, and, and I'll probably just highlight one more. Uh, another problem is inflation uh, that we're seeing um, and the lack of raw materials. Those two things are driving big price increases amongst uh, our sources of supply um, that, that feed both our maintenance operations and military construction. Uh, so the lack of availability or the lack of materiel uh, interrupts our production. And then the lack of materiel can slow military construction that we're relying on to support the warfighters mission, especially emerging missions uh, like the KC-46 uh, and eventually the B-21. So we're seeing a large reduction in the buying power of the funds that have been allocated by Congress. And, and that's a big problem for us. So uh, again, um, 
buying less uh, is driving up sustain, you know, the, the, the prime contractors holding in sustainment. Um, we are seeing more cold starts and, and challenges getting material. And then we're having a lack of ba- uh, buying power. So all of those kind of form and more form a kind of a wicked problem set. Uh, but, but in truth, um, I, I think challenges kind of open the door to opportunities. And, and that gives kind of a tee into kind of sharing what we're doing within the complex to get after uh, that problem set. Um, we're working hard to increase speed and quality and reducing the cost of depot maintenance um, by applying uh, the theory of constraints um, tied closely with uh, continuous process improvement techniques. Uh, and we do that um, through the sustainment center's art of the possible production methodology. Um, it's known as AOP. Um, any of our listeners who are in the complex uh, or in Air Force Sustainment Center will know AOP. They'll understand theory of constraints. Um, for those not as familiar, it's an incredibly powerful set of tools uh, that absolutely drives results and has been uh, for, for over a decade here in the complex. Um, we're also leveraging unique contract vehicles. Uh, one of them is a captain's, uh, what we call the captains of industry contracts. So they're long-term contracts um, that help provide stability in both supply chain and drive down costs um, because you know we, you get a better price break and when you guarantee consistency to the industry, they respond by uh, with the with the reduced risk by lowering prices. Um, and in another case, a unique uh, contract we have is our Pacer Edge contract uh, with General Electric military engines. Um, in this case. Is they're out, uh, their next round of engines, a large part of them are going to be, uh, the parts are going to be built with additive manufacturing or 3D metal printing, if you will. Um, they've kind of, they, they've got the, the mold. We're, uh, we're there, we're buying the equipment, they're transferring it here, and they're giving us, uh, and we're buying all the data rights. So as they go out and develop new engines additively, uh, they're helping us build the capability uh, to sustain and repair them using additive manufacturing. Uh, it would be incredibly powerful. Imagine um, like a part that has 300 subcomponents, uh, like a heat exchanger. Imagine being able to print that with a metal printer, only one part. Um, it's cheaper, more reliable, um, and, and can often be produced faster. So that's another way we're getting after things. We're also working to recapture work um, that's currently being done by defense contractors. Not all of it, uh, but where it's smart. Um, where business case analysis proved that we can do it better, faster, cheaper than commercial counterparts. Uh, we, we owe it to the taxpayers uh, and, and really to keep the viability of the complex to bring that workload uh, back in and move it from commercial to organic. Um, and, and you know probably one or two other areas, we're procuring new equipment that increases speed and capacity, um, allows us to do better data sharing, do predictive analysis on on how the machine is running so we can increase uptime. Uh, we're constantly reinvesting in our equipment. Um, one thing I would like to highlight is, is we really, really try and pull innovative ideas from just an incredible team of engineers. And, and of course, our talented t- technicians, uh, folks we call our industrial artisans. Um, and we do that through what we call our cost-effective readiness program. And, and those initiatives that have bubbled up from the ground up um, have helped produce about 500 million in cost savings and avoidances over the last six years. I mean, that's, that's a number, right? That's making a dent in the cost of sustainment. And those are just good ideas where folks have found a way to do, uh, you know, with either workarounds to counter material shortages 
or the ways to speed production. Absolutely huge. Um, yeah, so wicked problem set, but we're we're not uh, we're not going to be victims to it. We're working hard to counter that, to to you know robust the defense industrial base, make sure that both the organic and the commercial side are viable and productive, so that we can respond to the needs of the Air Force. Hope that helps. That's that's great, sir. Can you explain predictive maintenance and how it benefits the OCALC workforce? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I kind of touched on it in the, the, the last question a little bit. The airlines have been using predictive maintenance uh, for years, and it basically leverages big data. Um, whether they tap into onboard diagnostic systems on the aircraft uh, to leveraging historical maintenance data um, in, their, in their databases, they have very successfully moved from a fly to fail mentality to conducting maintenance when an airplane is scheduled down for other maintenance or, or actually in between scheduled flights. Um, it, it's pretty awesome. Sometimes the plane will be able to tell you that it has a, you know, an actuator or a fuel pump going bad, uh, it radios the signal back. And at the same time, they find the part, send it to the next location. And while they're downloading and servicing aircraft and uploading, they're actually performing the maintenance. Um, and that's, you know, it just keeps things flowing. I think uh, Delta Airlines went from about 250 cancellations a day down to just a few a day uh, using this met methodology. Um, and we're actually starting to apply that in the Air Force to our fielded forces. In the, in the ALC, it's a little bit different story. We're applying that to our industrial equipment. Um, as you can imagine, um, industrial equipment uptime is the name of the game. If it's, if, it's, if it's broken, we can't produce. So we have a team in the 76th uh, CMXG uh, that works to leverage data from our machines um, to determine the best time to perform preventive maintenance and avoid failure-driven downtime um, by spending a little time up front to uh, tweak the system, change part, clean a filter, uh, you know, change filter. Um, it saves us having to deal with a catastrophic failure. Uh, beyond that, our engineers are bringing new technology to the fight. We're, we're now uh, looking at our, our production machines with infrared cameras uh, that ID abnormal thermal patterns inside of the machine to indicate potential failure. It's, it's kind of like an x-ray for a running machine. And when we see, you know, one area is running hot and it shouldn't be, we know we've got a problem. We also have a camera uh, that we can put on machines and facilities um, like our test cells that, that are subject to a lot of vibration. Uh, they they uh, capture and exaggerate vibrations are undetectable to the eye. So when you play it back in the video, it shows where a machine you thought was, was running very smoothly is actually out of balance and is creating fissures in the floor. Uh, and you can imagine what kind of a, a catastrophic failure that could be. It's the same with our test cells. We put the camera on the test cell. We can see where engines are, are, are actually uh, causing the, the facility to, to move left and right. So it helps us um, adjust our preventive maintenance patterns to keep everything running. Amazing technology, uh, leveraging data. Uh, that's what predictive maintenance is, is all about. Um, it's one of the areas we're using to try and get after that wicked problem set I said before of sustainment costs going up and challenges with production. There's really cool stuff happening in the ALC right now on predictive maintenance. 
When we take on maintenance for new weapon systems such as the KC-46 Pegasus and eventually future airframes such as the B-21 Raider, how far in advance does planning begin and how does the ALC prepare itself for the modernized systems? Yeah, so planning for life cycle logistics or sustainment of airframes um, is really a team of team efforts and it starts with our program offices when they're in concept development for, for a new airframe, one of the things they have to do right up front is determine, determine what <clears throat> operations and sustainment su support will look like uh, you know, over, the, over the lifetime of the airplane. Um, that, again, that, that responsibility initially resides with our program office. Um, and it's, it's frankly a, a, required, a step required by Congress to develop that concept very early in program development. Then depending on the program, that process starts, uh, you know, about a decade or two before heavy maintenance is actually required. And again, we may have airplanes fielded, folks may be working them, but the first depot cycle doesn't occur, uh, you know, until potentially five or 10 years after airplanes have been fielded, same for engines. Um, as program requirements and funding streams solidify through the course of uh, program planning, plans for depot support are formalized. And, and that can occur sometimes up to a decade before the work actually needs to be done uh, at a depot like uh, OCALC. And, and that gives us time to what we call the quote unquote, activate the depot through military construction, uh, the procurement of equipment, determining sources of supply, and of course, near and dear to our heart, hiring and training personnel uh, to support that future workload. And this effort is done independently for the airframe the engines and even the associated software support. Um, so for example, we're, we're well down the road for KC-46. We have the first several hangars built, more to come. Um, and, and as aircraft are fielded, more and more will come through the ALC. When the hangars are built, we'll be hiring more people to support that workload. That's all part of that, that life cycle logistics concept. And we're just getting started on that for B-21. According to the most recent economic impact statement, Tinker generates approximately $1.78 billion in jobs created, with a total of $5.96 billion in annual economic impact. The OCALC alone has around 10,500 of Tinker's 17,000 civilian employees, and that's huge. I don't think people realize how big the complex is, but can you talk about the jobs and the new workloads that like KC-46 brings to Tinker? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that is Oklahoma's largest uh, single site employer um, that, that Tinker has a huge economic impact. Um, and as you mentioned, um, you know, something, you know, over 10,000 of the 17,000 uh, civilian employees, not to mention the military folks and the contractors that work on base, um, the ALC has a pretty big chunk, um, and, and what a lot of folks don't know is that Oklahoma City ALC is actually the largest uh, maintenance repair and overhaul organization in the Department of Defense, and I think we're the largest in the world, uh, with Ogden ALC being the second in size, and Delta, Delta's te uh, technical operations being third, and I think Warner Robins ALC is fourth, so that just shows you the size and the scale um, that the Air Force's three depots bring to the fight in terms of maintenance repair and overhaul for um, really, you know, nationally and internationally. Um, 
So I, I think uh, folks who have kept up with the news have seen that the Air Force is, is uh, signaling wanting to retire some old aircraft uh, to make headroom in the budget to build the Air Force we need uh, really to counter our pacing threats, which are, uh, you know, through the national defense strategy, we'll tell you, China and Russia. Um, and that, that legacy workload, of course, is near and dear to our heart. Um, so we are absolutely working hard to secure, to secure future workload and increase operations here at, at the complex. Um, the plan is locked for KC-46, and we expect an additional thousand jobs will be required to support the fleet as it grows, um, as the hangars are built and we pick up work here. Uh, we're not yet sure what depot maintenance will be performed on the B-21, but uh, Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex has been selected as the servicing depot uh, for the aircraft and the engine. Um, so as that program progresses down the line and we understand more about uh, the airplane and, and what will be required, that will help shape uh, what we'll do here. And then of course, we will go out and hire the personnel, we'll work with our universities and uh, our vocational, uh, our career vocational centers to be able to, to make sure we've got all the right training for those people coming in. Um, we're competing for the B-52 re-engine modification effort. Uh, some of our listeners will know that uh, uh, Congress, Department of Defense, the Air Force have approved re-engineering the B-52 to get some more life um, out of that war horse. Um, that's gonna be a big project and we're working hard uh, to try and be uh, the location of choice for doing that modification. Uh, that will certainly drive a certain number of jobs um, for, for the complex. And then if the Air Force plans to replace our aging E3 AWACS fleet with another airborne platform, Oak City ALC, we'd be the natural choice for that workload as well. So you can imagine we'll, we'll be competing for that. Plus, we're in the process of doubling our F-135 engine production in support of the F-35 fighter. Um, and really all of those efforts will require manpower that will not only benefit um, the organic industrial base uh, capability, but it'll be benefit uh, Tinker's economic impact on the local community and in the state of Oklahoma. Um, I think there are pretty exciting times ahead uh, for OCALC, and we're working hard to, to bring those visions, uh, you know, to make those visions a reality. It sounds very exciting in the future. I am I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. But you talked about partnerships with career techs and getting people here. Why are those partnerships with career techs and academic institutions vital to the industrial complex? Yeah, that is such a great question. Uh, you know, first of all, our career technical centers and Oklahoma's outstanding universities uh, provide us with our most valuable resource. And that's our workforce. Um, and in fact, we hire a, about a thousand people a year here in the complex. Um, two thirds of those um, backfill personnel who retire or seek employment elsewhere and about a third support growth and workloads. So um, that's, that's kind of the, you know, who we draw on now. Not all of the people we hire come from um, career technical centers or, or, or the uh, Oklahoma's universities, but they are certainly a big part of our life's blood uh, which is our, our, our personnel. Um, we hire about 85% of the graduates from Oklahoma's five incredibly responsive career technical centers. And we hired scores of graduates from Oklahoma's universities. In fact, we hire about every uh, university graduate um, that can be employed by, by the Department of Defense, uh, especially those in the, in the STEM career fields. 
we, we have just an insatiable demand for engineers across the ALC. And, and I know that holds truth for our program offices um, and the supply chain management wing as well. Uh, so those partnerships help ensure that uh, our future employees are best prepared to advance the ALC's mission. And as we take on new mission sets, like say the B-21 that may require um, expertise in working with composites and materials, well, then we will work with our universities and career technical centers to make sure they're building a curriculum. So those, those partnerships, the, the give and the take um, are, are really, really important to our ongoing production. Besides uh, the, the career technical centers and universities uh, being our life's blood for, for manpower personnel, uh, the relationship that, that we have with them through our educational partnership agreements uh, is really important to accelerating change within the complexes. In 2019, the Department of Defense um, dubbed the, the air logistics complexes as national laboratories. And this is important because it opens uh, funding streams for research and development and allows us to enter into these very unique partnership agreements with the universities. Um, they allow us to share ideas, um, work collaboratively on projects, um, have access to unique equipment that either the ALC has or the university has. So uh, it helps us uh, expand our capability to solve real world problems. And we offer uh, kind of real world issues to help bring course curriculum uh, to give it another dimension to make it real. So a lot of real big benefits uh, associated with these educational partnership agreements. We currently have uh, three in play that we have signed, one with uh, University of Oklahoma, one with Oklahoma State University, and one with Oklahoma Christian University. And uh, if weather holds, we'll sign our fourth tomorrow with the University of Central Oklahoma. Um, that one's unique amongst the three because it is allowing us to donate a supercomputer uh, to the university. Um, they, are, they have an expertise in cluster computing. Um, we've moved beyond uh, this current piece of high-tech equipment. Um, so while, while we have moved past it, this will be a very important upgrade for them as they advance the art in cluster computing. And this, these partnerships allow us to do that. Um, in fact, they open all kinds of doors when it comes to injecting new technologies into the complex, uh, as I said, as well as solving complex problems that impact national security. Had a lot of success there. Congress and the Air Force both recognized the value of these educational partnerships uh, by providing $5 million in direct funding in uh, fiscal year 21. And uh, we use that to sponsor nine research projects with uh, University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University. All of them accelerate emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, additive manufacturing, and developing novel chromium-free aerospace coatings, um, you know, basically healthier, safer paint techniques for our aircraft. Uh, it's also helping us uh, advance what we call in-situ monitoring, monitoring to improve the quality of 3D metal printing. And 3D metal printing is cutting edge in parts manufacturing. Um, and, and so we're working with the universities to accelerate that. And one other area is, uh, defecting is uh, detecting defects in composite materials and bonded components. So what that means is uh, if I have an engine blade that I'm taking off a, a, a used engine that's in for overhaul, I don't have to strip the material just to inspect it and decide whether it needs to be repaired, replaced, or used as is, and then reapply the coating. All I have to do is inspect it. If it needs work, then I run it through the process. If it's beyond repair, 
uh, I dispose of it. If it's good to go as is, I press. So that will help uh, increase speed in the complex. All of these efforts are game changing. Um, and and we, we very much appreciate um, the funding Congress gave us to go advance those technologies uh, with our universities. Um, speaking of game changing, this one I'm really excited about. Our software engineering group uh, is partnered closely with University of Oklahoma to advance the art in artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, that combined team uh, recently put together um, a paper about their progress um, and presented it at the Digital Avionics Systems Conference. And they won best in paper honors among 20 presenters from the government, industry, and academic institutions. So our experts building with uh, those folks in academia, working together are really advancing the art that will have great impacts, not only for the complex, but, but probably nationally and internationally down the road. Um, pretty neat stuff. So, you know, in short, our, our ALC engineers are partnering with Oklahoma's academic institutions to uh, accelerate the insertion of cutting edge technologies into the complex. And, and this is really, really game changing stuff uh, for the Air Force. We really appreciate those partnerships with um, Oklahoma's universities and uh, especially with our career uh, technical uh, institutes. That is some, some amazing stuff going on at the complex. It's, it's fun to see it all as it unfolds. So that's the last of my questions, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Um, you know, I, I started with thank you and I think, uh, I think I'd like to end with thank you. Um, you know, first, thanks for the opportunity uh, to highlight uh, the complex's incredible workforce. Um, they're, they're really a great group of Americans that are, you know, working hard to support national defense. They come in day in and day out and, and just and just grind. They, they, they do the job. They put iron back on the ramp. They put art parts back on the shelf, uh, update software uh, for the warfighter. Um, it's, it's always a great opportunity to talk about to talk about them. Um, today, we focus a lot on emerging technologies, some some big challenges that, that we may have across uh, the defense industrial base, and more importantly, what the men and women uh, at Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex are doing in partnership with others uh, to get after those problems. And it's really, really exciting stuff, and things are really picking up momentum. Uh, I look forward to um, maybe part three of this is talking through some actual successes uh, that we're seeing and, and we'll see in the coming months. Um, but our workforce they're rock solid. They know that the warfighter is counting on us, just counting on us to produce safe, reliable aircraft equipment. And, and they step up to the task each and every day. Super proud of our workforce. Um, I think I'd also like to take the opportunity to, to thank AFGE Local 916 uh, from the leadership team, um, right down to the shop stewards on our floors. They are just stalwart advocates for our workforce. Uh, AFGE absolutely takes the agency to task on, on a great many things, uh, you know, come to, you know, come to the bat of, uh, of our collective bargaining unit employees. And then once they, they table the issue, uh, they sit down with us uh, and, and work to find, um, work hard to find, you know, workable solutions, uh, things that are, that enhance uh, quality of life and safety for our workforce, but still enable us to keep production up for the warfighters. Um, uh, I can't thank them enough uh, for their for their partnership and for making sure that, that we're we're doing the best we can to take care of the people that are taking care of our warfighters. Um, I think that's about it for this session. Uh, just uh, thank you and your team for helping us 
uh, tell the Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex story. Thank you again, sir. It's, it's been fun. So um, those of you who have listened, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to part one, you can find that at your uh, podcast listening spot of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So go back, listen to that, and um, let us know what you think about it. You can visit us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Facebook and Instagram, it's just Tinker Air Force Base. And on Twitter, we're team underscore Tinker. You can also see us online on our website, www.tinker.af.mil. Thanks for listening and have a great day.